Hey, Rarecast listeners, join us for Global Genes Live, a rare patient advocacy unsummit, September 14th to the 25th. This two-week virtual event will feature a variety of interactive and educational events, meetups, workshops, and performances. Whether you're a rare disease veteran or new to the community, we invite you to connect and engage with us and others through interactive activities. To learn more, visit globalgenes.org forward slash live. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Bowel syndrome is a life-threatening rare disease caused by a significant shortening of the gastrointestinal tract. Because of difficulties people with short bowel syndrome have properly absorbing nutrients, they rely on receiving them through intravenous infusions. This has an impact on quality of life for people with the condition and comes with a high risk of systemic infections. Nine Meters Biopharma is focused on rare gastrointestinal conditions. It's advancing an experimental therapy for short bowel syndrome. We spoke to John Temperato, president and CEO of Nine Meters, about short bowel syndrome, the company's experimental therapy to treat the condition, and how the company has built its pipeline through two recent mergers. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about the recent mergers that created Nine Meters, its efforts to develop therapies for rare GI disorders, and one of those conditions, short bowel syndrome. Let's start with the name Nine Meters, though. What's the significance of that? Yeah, we thought it very important when creating a company uh, that's new to the marketplace, both to providers, patients, and to the public markets, that we create a name that's memorable, speaks to the vision of the company, and our dedication to the therapeutic space. So uh, we spend a lot of time and effort and then researching the name, and, and nine meters speaks to the approximate length of the GI tract. So as I mentioned, speaks to our dedication to the GI space. We also spend a lot of time, believe it or not, on whether to use a digit um, in the name or utilize uh, uh, letters to spell it out. And so did a lot of research with that as well and decided on the digit because the digit's always the first in the alphabet. So it's a, it's a nice side benefit, if you will. At Nine Meters was formed through the merger of Innovate Biopharmaceuticals and RDD Pharma. And, and then there was a, another acquisition, Naya Rare Diseases or a merger. How did these all come about? Yeah, great, great, great question. About a year and a half ago, I was recruited to be the chief executive officer of RDD Pharma, which is a company at the time headquartered in Tel Aviv in Israel. And I was recruited there by two folks. One is Mark Sergo, and Mark was on our board at Salix. And Salix is a large part of the story. I was with Salix for about 10 years. And Salix became the largest independent GI company in the world. Anyways, Mark was on our board at Salix, 
And Mark was recruited to be the chairman of the board at RDD by uh, Nissim Darvish from Orbamed. And as you know, uh, Orbamed is one of the leading life science investment firms in, in the world. So they, uh, they uh, recruited me to run RDD with three things in mind. One was to devise a new compelling strategy. Two was to build out the, the pipeline. And three was to get the company public. So in short order, I, I agreed with the, the RDD board to devise a strategy whereby we focus on rare, orphan, and unmet needs in gastroenterology. Uh, the world does not need the 50th product for mild to moderate ulcerative colitis in adults or a, another bowel purgative, although some people who just gotten a, a colonoscopy might uh, disagree with that one. So, so nonetheless, we, uh, we devised a new strategy and then concurrent to that, we uh, scour the world and looking to uh, build out the pipeline and began uh, looking at about 50 different assets, narrowed that down to about 10 and began acquiring NIA uh, rare diseases. At the same time, we were acquiring NIA rare diseases, Innovate Biopharmaceuticals, a, a public company, sent out a release saying they were looking for a new CEO and uh, to explore uh, strategic directions. Well, to make all the world small, I uh, was very familiar with Innovate for a couple of reasons. Uh, at Salix, we were in the process of acquiring their lead asset, uh, lorazotide, which is for celiac disease, when we were acquired ourselves. So much so that the founder of Salix, Dr. Warren Johnson, ended up on the board at Innovate. So within several weeks, we had a, signed a definitive agreement with Innovate. Took us about four to five months to, to close the merger. And on top of that, we folded uh, 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 in NIA rare diseases to create a company that was dedicated and aligned to the vision that we had set forth. What are these mergers allowing you to do together that each of you couldn't do on your own? I think it really does uh, several things. It gives us the bandwidth because of the integration and the people that we brought together to execute against that strategy. It provides us a robust portfolio uh, for a, a new company and a new biotech company. So a lot of times you'll see a, an emerging biotech company and a new company uh, that has a pipeline of four or five or six rows, but they really have one product or one platform so they're, they're, they're a binary event to that product or a platform. What's really unique about us for an emerging biotech company and a new co, and I, I really do want people to look at us as a total new company, because in effect we are, uh, we have, we have a, uh, a multitude of products in our pipeline. We have two co-lead assets, one for celiac disease and one for short bowel syndrome, which you mentioned previously. And then we have follow-on compounds as well. So we're, we're truly not a binary success event, and uh, we have a robust portfolio and pipeline. So the, the combination of those companies enabled us to bring the right people together, which is first and foremost uh, important, and then to, to bring the technologies that were aligned with our strategy. Is the expectation that you'll continue to build your pipeline through acquisitions here? Yeah, if there's one thing, absolutely great question. If there's one thing that we've learned in, in our a lengthy uh, history in the industry is that we'll never stop looking for interesting technologies that align with the, the strategy. I think that's an important part of any corporation's narrative is to continue to invest in yourself. But it's a balance. I will say that it's a balance because you, you need to balance the amount of opportunities that you bring in with your ability to execute against those opportunities and manage the burn or, or the spend that's associated with them. So it will always be a balance, but that doesn't mean that we won't continue to look 
to build out our portfolio for interesting opportunities. So how much financing do you have right now and how far is that going to take you? So we, we closed the merger in the midst of uh, COVID-19 when the markets were doing the, the wild swings of, you know, four or 5,000 points a day. So it was an interesting time to, to raise money concurrently. But through all that, we were still able to bring in over $22 million of financing. And that financing enabled us to cement the mergers between the, uh, the three organizations, bring the company live, listed on NASDAQ under the uh, ticker symbol NMTR, and also enables us to hit two key inflection points for our two lead assets. So uh, for Ciliac, it enables us to get through the uh, to an interim analysis. Ciliac is a is a 630 patient trial. After half of which um, patients are completed, we'll have a interim analysis, which is a statistical sizing analysis, which will help us, you know, how, uh, understand how to manage the, the program going forward. And then the second, it gets us to the top line data for our short bowel program, which is a single study site center out at Cedar Sinai in uh, California. Uh, and that program will be getting underway very, very soon. And, and we hope to get top line uh, results on that as early as the end of the year, or the first half of uh, 2021. But that, I, did want, I, I did want to take a little deeper dive on, on the short bowel syndrome indication. Why don't we start there? What is short bowel syndrome? Yeah, so it's a, exactly what it says. So I, I mentioned earlier, the name of the company is Nine Meters, and that's because the average length of a GI tract is nine meters. So somebody with short bowel uh, syndrome is somebody who has two meters or less of their bowels. So, and, and they got that through a result of different ways. One is genetics, but that's the, the smallest proportion. Less than 2% of people who have short bowel got that through a genetic disposition. Uh, more likely they got that through a, is a, through a resection as a result of having uh, uh, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or they were in a, some kind of uh, uh, accident, whether it was vehicular or a motorcycle accident that damaged uh, their uh, GI tract uh, in such a sufficient and harsh manner that a large portion of it had to be removed. So what, what happens with these patients, because they have two meters or less of bowels, is that they have the inability to absorb nutrients. And, and if you don't have the ability to, to absorb nutrients, I hate to be crass, but you're, you're not long for the world, unfortunately. So uh, that, that's what short bowel syndrome is. The folks with the genetic form of the condition, how are they diagnosed? Is this something that's apparent prior to birth or at birth, or is this something that's has to go through? It's a combination, but it could be a genetic effect, and it could also just be a birth defect. But is that apparent at birth, or is there something that has to be diagnosed to, to figure that out? Uh, no, it would be apparent at birth. So how does this condition manifest itself and, and progress? So as I said, the, the progression really is, is when you have two meters or less of bowels, you have the inability to absorb nutrients. And, and, and unfortunately, if you have the inability to absorb nutrients, you have a whole cohort of, of issues. So for example, everything um, you can imagine, your transit time and transit time to speaks to your ability to ingest and then um, and digest and then ultimately excrete. So that time when somebody um, has a short bowel or two meters or less is very, very short. 
So uh, you have obviously severe GI complications as a result of that short transit time, and then not to mention the lack of nutrients that you're absorbing. So it could have a whole, whole host of issues. Cause. How is it generally treated today? So uh, treated today, there's two primary ways. One is uh, called parenteral support, and parenteral support is a IV bag of fluids, typically daily, um, that provides the uh, the necessary nutrients for a patient to survive. Um, and depending upon uh, your uh, your body's ability to adapt over time, some patients might need that parenteral support daily, and some might need it, you know, three times a week or once a week. So it really depends on upon uh, the person. Then around six years ago, there was a, um, a, a GLP-2, uh, which is a, a peptide that was brought to market by a company then called NPS, which was ultimately bought by Shire for a little over $5 billion. And then Shire was subsequently, subsequently acquired by Takeda. Um, and they uh, have a GLP-2, which has been on the market for about six years. And they have a north of 1,300 patients under management on, on that drug. Um, and the, the goal of that drug mechanistically was to grow uh, a villous architecture within your bowels to absorb nutrients. So that's, that's sort of the standard of care, if you will, right now, along with parenteral support. You've, when you acquired NIA, you got a hold of NM002 for short bowel syndrome. This is a, a phase two ready candidate what what is nm002 yeah it's a it's a long acting glp1 agonist and uh, so basically what we have is we put together um exenatide which has been a, a product that's been on the market for uh, diabetes for a number of years um although it's a first generation if you will uh diabetic product meaning that it was optimized for gastric effect a lot of the newer A1C or uh, uh, GLP-1s are uh, optimized for pancreatic effect. But because this was optimized for gastric effect, it's almost the perfect drug th that was designed for short bowel. The issue with it, though, has a very short half-life. So the, the predecessor, Naya, had worked with a company called Aminix to bolt on a technology called X10, which gives us the ability to dose this product up to potentially once a month, or uh, worst case, potentially twice a month. And when you look at Gaddix, which I mentioned earlier, which is that GLP-2, that's da dosed daily in perpetuity. So one of the big advantages we, we, we should have or potentially will have is, is dosing amongst others. How does the drug work? Yeah. So unlike uh, Gaddix, the GLP-2, which grows this villous architecture, which uh, the goal is to snag nutrients as you digest them. The goal of a GLP-1 or our product is to slow the transit time. So uh, the time, as I said earlier, when you eat food into, into which you excrete food, you slow it to, to, down to such a point, it gives the ability to absorb the nutrients while you're in the digestion process. So uh, that's, the, that's mechanistically how we're designed to work. GLP-1 is naturally produced in the gut. Is there a risk of a patient having or producing too much GLP-1 with this drug? No, that's a great question. As a result of the short, of the short bowel and the two meters or less, these patients have the inability to produce GLP-1. So that's one of the advantages of our product is to provide these patients the GLP-1 that they are, they are missing as a result of their, their lack of bowel. <laughs> 
What's known about NM002 from studies to date? Yeah, so we, there was a proof of concept trial done out at uh, Cedar sinai um, in uh, California, one of the uh, preeminent GI uh, teaching hospitals in the world. And it was done by a renowned gastroenterologist named uh, Dr. Mark uh, Pimentel. And in Dr. Pimentel's, Pimentel's proof of concept trial, 60% uh, of the patients or three of the five of the patients never had to go back to parenteral support as a result of taking uh, the GLP-1. So uh, that led uh, Naya to work with Aminix and bolt on this Extend technology to create a, a, a molecule that's a really a game changer uh, versus the current standard of care. And not only from a dosing standpoint, but from a safety profile standpoint as well, that one of the disadvantages of the, uh, the Gaddix product is because it does grow this villus architecture, it can also grow bad things and, and has a warning from the FDA for a neoplastic growth warning, which means it can grow polyps. And, and as you know, there's a, uh, there's a sequence called an adenoma carcinoma sequence. And if you've ever had a colonoscopy, the doctor snagged a polyp, he'll probably, or she'll probably say to you, lucky we snagged that polyp because eventually that could grow into a carcinogen uh, issue for you. So um, that's one of the big advantages we have is from a, a safety. And then from an efficacy standpoint, if, if our phase two and then ultimately our phase three aligns with the proof of concept, uh, we'll have a big uh, uh, potential advantage versus GADX or the standard of care, which uh, didn't see uh, uh, numbers uh, uh, or the percentage uh, uh, increase uh, in efficacy that we saw in our proof of concept trial. And what's the clinical path forward? Yeah, so the clinical path forward is we're about to commence this um, uh, this trial, this 1B2A trial at Cedar sinai It's a single study site center. It's a 12-patient uh, uh, trial. We uh, Cedars has the patients identified, and uh, so uh, we look to execute that um, beginning very shortly, and then throughout the fall, get the top line data later this year or uh, the beginning of next year, then uh, work with the, uh, the agency on the phase three design and bridge right to a phase three. The, the nice thing about short bowel syndrome from a drug development standpoint is that it's orphan designation, meaning there's 200,000 patients or less. And for short bowel, there's about 20,000 in the US and 20,000 uh, 20, adults and 20,000 peds. And what all that means is that you have the potential to get breakthrough therapy the disease has orphan drug designation. So it's a six month review versus a 12 month review. It's a single study versus multiple studies in phase three. Um, it's also a smaller size of study. So all that gives you a, a path forward that gives you a way to capitally efficient, uh, a way to develop the, uh, the product. John Temperato, president and CEO of Nine Meters Biopharma. John, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.